The Over the Bonnet podcast is brought to you by Merrimack Medical, Gimpy Foam and Rubber, Luscious Slicks and Nycat Earth Moving. In this episode, I get to chat with a man who was a self-taught barefoot doctor and surgeon who devoted himself to the healthcare of peasants in rural and remote areas of China. Lee Sun is known as the Cave Doctor. After beginning his practice in the caves of rural and remote Shaanxi province, performing more than 3,000 operations. Over the Bonnet with Mark Peepers. <laughs> well, at least the guests are good. You'll never know what happens with the conversation when it's Over the Bonnet. <laughs> You're kidding me, aren't you? Lee Sun, welcome to Over the Bonnet. Oh, pleased to be here. You have an incredible past. We'll start back in the days when you were known as the cave doctor, the barefoot doctor. What happened then? How did it all come about? I was sent with many other um, uh, high school graduates or middle school graduates from the major cities uh, to the far away western villages in the mountains in 1969. We were called at that time educated youth, but the education was really the middle school. Um, I attended only two years of middle school. I initially uh, worked as a peasant, just participating in uh, cultivating the land and growing uh, grains. But later we discovered a tremendous medical needs in the local area. The mortality rate, for example, in the newborns were very, very high. Maybe five of 10 uh, children, half of them would die. And then so the mother also suffered infection after giving birth. At that time, uh, there were infectious disease. We didn't know what happened because many patients would suffer from very high temperature, very high fever, just lay down uh, on the kang. A kang is a mud kind of bed, um, and that without attention, without medical attention. Uh, some people would die, particularly the young people would die. Without any medical training, uh, a bunch of people of us, uh, we have 20 people in our village uh, from Beijing, we organize ourselves to try to attend these uh, situations. So you were still working as? As a peasant. During the evening, uh, in the morning, uh, when we had time, we go visit these people, try to figure out what was the problem. Apparently, we couldn't figure it out. There's no uh, examination. We have not enough not knowledge. But we thought there must be some sort of infection. A classmate by the name of Cao Bo, whose uh, parents uh, were doctors in the major hospital, had some idea of antibiotics, and he brought some with him. He said, why don't we try the antibiotics? We tried on one patient, chloromycin. Magically, in about a week, the high fever subsided. The old lady drastically improved and got up. But we still couldn't figure out what happened. And then we just checked the books. We brought up with us a, a bluish-covered book 
and they're called Rural Doctor's Handbook. We just go th- went through and then try to figure out what was that was, and then eventually, because this chloromycin worked, and then we just figure out what would be the potential uh, disease this uh, antibiotics would, would be effective for. And then we eventually figured out that was a typhoid fever. Wow. And then our parents uh, from uh, Beijing uh, were very supportive. They mailed us uh, many medications. And also we tried to get some medication from the local hospitals, but apparently the local hospitals were not very enthusiastic. Uh, in giving us the medication. So they gave us some. We just learned how to do the injection and how to, um, uh, how to use the, the medication uh, extensively and together with some other ways. Basically, we controlled the pandemic. That's what was pandemic in our village. And then also, we transmitted the information of our discovery to other villages and then we organize ourselves to try to treat as many people as possible and then put this um, uh, infectious uh, condition in control. So that was what started. However, we further discovered the entire medical situation was so bad. Um, the reason was that the um, peasants were very, very poor and then they had hardly enough food to eat. Their living conditions so bad. One dirt cow, dirt bad, would sleep maybe two peasants uh, plus maybe five or six babies or children, uh, and then not enough covering, not enough comforts, and so that this tremendous. And then they, uh, in the springtime, many of the peasants had to go out to bag food because the conserved grains were exhausted and the new grains would not come uh, until later in the summer. That was a very, very sad situation. The uh, weather sometimes would not be on your side and then this grain would have no harvest. It was mountainous. All the nutrients, water uh, would, would wash away um, during the heavy rain. In this economic condition, people would not have any mechanism to resolve their medical needs. Certainly the doctors were scarce, and then none of them, almost none of them, um, would like to go into these areas to help. What was your thinking, though, when you're working as a peasant (coughs) farmer during the day, and then at night you're getting interested in treating peasant patients and people with some sort of illness what was your thinking at the time you must had you must have had a real compassion yeah this compassion actually we called revolutionary compassion because many of us we knew at the time we're supposed to go down to these rural areas to be re-educated to show our value to contribute and then, but we had no idea how. So apparently this situation just give us an opportunity. Similar opportunities uh, exist for other uh, needs. For example, some of us became teachers. 
even though they have no training of teaching, but they teach uh, the little kids. Some people try to understand how to conserve the water, how to purify the water, how to control the flies, how to better cultivate the grains. So many people just try to do whatever they could to show their contribution and value to uh, kind of save themselves in the sense that they want to become revolutionary parties. Because you would have also had to deal with that starvation and lack of food and absolute poverty. Yeah. The poverty uh, in the peasants, the poverty is incredible, was really incredible. I mean, the poverty for the peasants at the time was horrible. But for us, uh, for young, educated youth, uh, we have about six months uh, that our grains were supplied by the government. Right. The first six months was the transition. After six months, we were on our own. <laughs> so initially, we're okay. But over time, we're not okay. So we need to uh, improve the situation because we became part of the group, part of the community. I mean, your problem is going to be my problem. So this is a kind of coexistence uh, situation causes you to uh, organize yourself. Therefore, we just try to do whatever we could. For example, uh, there was a friend of mine who later became one of the most famous writers in China, Shi uh, Tiesheng, who knew how to do acupuncture, and then who actually uh, taught me how to do the acupuncture, and then we practice um, in myself. I mean, try to practice and how to insert the needles, how to, uh, I mean, find the points and everything else. So that costs nothing. <laughs> acupuncture, right? There were some other uh, methods we tried. But acupuncture worked really well. I will tell you a couple examples. Uh, one example, one a older man had a stroke and then I was summoned right away in the midnight to his cave. I used acupuncture and then to uh, use this point, the strong stimulus. Incredibly, the tongue used to be crooked and then the mouth could be paralyzed halfway and then the hand and the legs could not move half the body. But after strong stimulus, the whole thing just magically corrected. Wow. Right away. Wow. Immediately. Yeah. Uh, so apparently in later time, so we kind of figured out that was not a real big uh, embolism. It could be a spasm, the artery spasm that's causing this. They're called transient ischemic uh, change. But then anyway, these uh, acupuncture change changed the entire symptoms right away. There was another case, uh, it's unbelievable case, that's the next village to us, uh, also in the midnight. I was called in a rush, and then a bunch of people just dragged me and go. I just grabbed my little bag, medical bag, and uh, followed them. 
And then when I arrived to the scene, uh, I discovered a, a mid-aged lady was laying on a half door because they took up the door as almost a bed and then laid down there, uh, face very pale. And then a bunch of people surrounding this and then a bunch of older people were smoking and then discussing how to bury the, this old lady. Oh, wow. What happened is I discovered this lady, mid-aged lady, had a kind of uh, fight with the daughter-in-law, a newlywed daughter-in-law. Um, so they didn't get together because of food division. Basically, um, the young, la young lady did not give enough food for the elderly. So that's a very, very simple thing. But the, as you understand, that, that's livelihood. Uh, so Han herself, suicide. So one was discovered, people put her down. Everybody believed she was already dead. Yeah. So when I arrived on the scene, I have no idea what I could do. But however, at that time, I remembered Shi Tiesheng told me use a very special acupuncture point, which is in the middle of your feet, both ways, feet. And I, I used very long needle and try to get into the feet very strong. If you try that, if you even use your hand in the middle of your feet, you cannot bear. That's the strong, I, I mean, that feeling is very uh, odd. So I use very strong stimulus. And then I, all of a sudden, this person had a reaction in this throat. <laughs> Almost like that. Okay. Magically, this respiration gradually returned. So that lady was saved. What was your reaction at the time? Oh, I, I don't know. I thought this is God act, right? How can you possibly think this uh, person hunt herself and cut down and then you use acupuncture with no other resuscitation equipment or anything? You use this uh, long needle, both feet, and a very strong stimulus. And then that worked tremendously. But one thing that really stands out, yeah. that there was not enough food, so she was yeah. uh, basically cast aside and wasn't given the food. Can you describe how hard it was? Because you would have suffered also from lack of food. Yeah. How bad was it? People would preserve the uh, little food, little nutrition to the labor in the family, usually the head of the household because he has to go out to work and then come back and to, I mean, to bring the so-called uh, work points. You earn not currency, you earn work points because that was a commune, it was communist organization, collective work. So you earn these points. The rest of people uh, in the family usually had some of the mixture with tray leaves, tray barks, um, some of the grain, middle portion of this uh, corn, not the uh, 
uh, the hospital itself. The, the, yeah, and then crash that into uh, powder. So mixture of these things, just try to make sure that your, your stomach is full. Oh, that was, uh, it was horrible. And the, the color was black. Uh, many times the, this color is black. You use this uh, thing and bring to the uh, work site and sometimes in the um, uh, lunchtime, people just eat that. You won't be able to have a noodle, a real white flour noodle, until maybe once or twice a year, usually Chinese New Year. And also, if there's a wedding or if there's some major event, you may have a real meal. Otherwise, it was just try to to survive yourself. But the culture, local culture, is very, very interesting because many beggars pass through our villages, so the dog barks. Mm. And then the beggars came in, approached your cave. Usually, even though everybody was starving, you must, as a part of culture, get a piece of whatever you preserved your own family a little piece and give to the beggar. So from this collective culture, and the beggars will survive. Because people understand that sometime down the road, you will be part of the beggars group. So this was very, very uh, heartbreaking at, at the time. During this period, apparently, people had no money to buy anything else. The only thing is that people may um, raise some chicken, get some eggs, and they use the eggs to change some little money. The money would be good for buying salt, because the salt is absolutely necessary for survival. Uh, at that time, uh, many things were on quota. For example, you want to buy cloth. You can't buy it unless you have a quota. But in the peasants' uh, population, even if you have some uh, quota tickets, you don't have enough cash, so you really cannot get much. So their clothing is really, really very, very bad. We remembered that uh, the little kids uh, had uh, no socks, uh, during the winter, it's very, very cold, and just basic shoes is all broken. So during this period of time, if you're sick, what you do? So our people there said, we just bag our fate, bag our fortune, and see uh, the God that would take my life. Just wait. That is an incredible Yes, that's attitude. That was the attitude towards disease. But our arrival changed this situation. So people thought we were almost like God sent, right? There were rumors. People said, okay, these young kids, they inherited their ancestors' medical skills. Because oh, they, we were very young. They thought, they thought that was the case. Therefore, a paralyzed person could stand up 
and that that person could become alive. Well, what was the reaction by the people when they saw that lady when she did yes. choke and come <clears throat> to life? What was their reaction? Their reaction, wow. <laughs> At that time, you could hear, wow. <laughs> Just uh, everybody was so, so surprised. I myself felt the same thing. I surprised myself too. Because that was a last resort, just give it a try. I have no idea what the reaction might be. But for the peasants, they communicate. The rumors spread. As a consequence, many, many other people came. So we became a real doctors because the demands, medical demands, was tremendous. And then all kinds of situations you can imagine, right? So, for example, the first time I was summoned to a different village. And then when I came in, it was a baby cannot be delivered in the way that the uh, placenta was trapped inside the womb. I did not even know how the delivery process was. I did not know much about the human anatomy. How could I do it? But at that time, people already thought I knew a lot. <laughs> I don't. So what happens, I just went outside. I said, I need to go to the toilet. Toilet's in, actually in the wild and then very low brick. I just tried to lower myself. Actually, I opened up my blue book. I was checking, checking what happened <laughs> and then try to figure out from the pictures. I then realized this requires a manual operation because the placenta, a stick into the interior of the uterus. You need to just separate the placenta manually and then you order for the placenta to come out. Because bleeding already happening. A lot of blood at the time. And then the only ancient midwife, local midwife, were there and they used a, a pillow and also a long bar, try to uh, press the, the uh, stomach. That was the only thing. And then one hand pulling the cord. That was the scenario I encountered the first time for my obstetrics practice, right? And then I decided that there's no way out. I have to try myself. So I basically, I shoot pictures in my head because there's a serious pictures in the book. And then I just use alcohol to clean my, my fingers, my hand. And then I close my eyes and try to figure out the process. And I eventually did it. And then I, I couldn't believe how deep that was. My hand almost came out all the way here. So basically, I pull out the placenta with a lot of blood. And at the end of the day, I followed the same practice, use a pillow, and ask people to press, press the uterus. Eventually, that young woman was okay. So uh, that was the type of uh, scenario. And then, for example, there are some other situations. An old veteran, for example, in my village, he was on a disability aid. If you fought 
uh, in the war, and then if you got injury, and then you receive some sort of aid from the government. He was one of them. So he described to me that I have three bullets in my body. Can you get them out? Wow. One is in half of the bo- bottom, and then one is in inside of the uh, joint. The other one is uh, underneath the thigh. So he's been shot three times in the three, leg. Yeah. He's come home. He's on a disabled sort of pension. Yeah. And he's still carrying the bullets. Still carrying bullets. Nobody could get them out. So very, very painful. He cannot move the joint because it's very painful. Inside your joint, right? Inside your knee. Yeah. And then in here, you couldn't sit. And then this one, this place is stuck into the tendon. When tendon moves, that bullet moves, uh. and then ta- very painful. So he disabled. What can I do? Can I refuse? No. I said, uh, of course I can. That was <laughs> the uh, reaction. <laughs> that was the reaction. So bearing that in my mind, incidentally, at that time, my friend, Shi Tiesheng, get sick, the back pain, very badly, and then later became paralyzed himself. I accompanied him to Beijing. At that time, I just try to see how can I resolve this uh, uh, surgical situation of this uh, veteran. Basically, I went to the second-hand market and try to get some of the equipment. I went to my sister's hospital. I just petitioned uh, to the leader there and said whether I can watch, watch in the clinic and try to figure out what they were doing, right? At the same time, a group of us organized a team. We decided that there were too many instruments in the major cities, and then we had none. This is unfair. So uh, we formed a group of thieves. I was the internal person. I know where the instruments were. And then I told Chen Chong and Li Ning, some other friends, uh, they pretend themselves to be patients. They bandaged themselves and then came and then they knew uh, I was inside the other door. This is called ambulatory surgical unit. Just small surgery is happening. So they came in, and then I just point where the equipments are. But this was out of absolute desperation. Desperation. Mm. Because you are, otherwise you can't uh, do anything. Then I just walk out to make sure other people saw I was not here. I pretend to be in the toilets or doing some other things. Give yourself an alibi. Alibi. So that was my plan. And then this just grab. They're not getting the whole thing because they get one here, one there, one there, because in, in this uh, white plates. And then they get one here, one there, and then we reorganize them. So you miss one or two, you don't see them because you are sent to the preparation room, preparation to clean them out and then autoclave them, and then nothing happened. Eventually, nothing happened. 
if we never tell, and then nobody will ever know now. We already figured we cannot、uh, be considered thieves because we are doing this for good, distributing、uh, medical resources. And then when we went back to the village, we practiced the surgery, and practiced surgery in、uh, small animals. For example, we practice in rabbits, but rabbits is not big enough. And then、uh, we discover some of the little children when they die, people would just throw them into the mountains in the evening. That's local cul- local culture. So I, I just instructed one of my younger followers, local followers.、Uh, Peasants, I instruct them、uh, to follow. What was it like, Dave? I want to take you back to when you're watching these operations, when you're asking to be allowed to come and watch these operations in Beijing. Yeah. What was your reaction, and how much did you learn? Oh, I learned quite a bit, but I learned not necessarily only from the watching, the observation, but also I studied. I studied using the, the books. And then the second-hand bookstore. I just spent days in in there because I can't afford to buy the books or the color pictures, pictorial books. But I just try to make pictures. I use my. I have a memory, a photographic memory. My eyes and then just just go through them and then just make pictures, myself. Just try to remember by photographic memory. But anyway, because we have problems in our head, we want to try to resolve it. So when you're so concentrated on resolving something, and then you can,、uh, you forget what you would need. For example, we have no clothes, and then we just use own family、uh, quota, and then buy the white clothes, and then we use the operating gong. We we made everything ourselves. But basically. We experiment on both animal and human. The human body、uh, were the dead little、uh, children.、Uh, we bring back in the evening under the very dim light. We just open it up and try to figure out what's inside. We just try to open up. Uh, the abdomen, for example, and see where the muscles, where is the peritoneal, how the uh, uh, intestines are ra- arranged, and his liver and things. That was a a learning process.、Uh, we would otherwise、uh, should learn from the medical school, but they have no such a opportunity. Impossible. So, combining the actual practice. Combined with the pictures, books, we gathered our own knowledge base. Then we did successfully remove the three bullets. What happened? We already so prepared, and then we just open it up and then try find that and suit it up. And particularly in the joint, in the knee, was hard. But eventually, we overcome these difficulties and then、uh, get local anesthesia. At the end of the day, that. Person felt ten times, hundred times better. Without think about it, without the bullets in your body. So I mean, just almost like second life. This is the starting of the surgical 
uh, operation. Otherwise, we thought the barefoot doctors maybe just give some, give out some medication and uh, do some temperature and uh, acupuncture, or some other things. We could never thought we could do surgery, but life goes much faster than you can imagine. There was one person who was the brother uh, of our party secretary in the village. He had so-called intestine obstruction. It was life-threatening. At that time, I was not in the village. So they had to try to transfer him, this young guy, transfer him to the major oil field hospital where the medical equipment, the medical facility is much better than the villages. However, when you have this severe condition, you cannot move him very long. So maybe only five uh, kilometers he died in the middle of the road. At that time, I was still uh, in Beijing. I did not come back. But it was transported to me, but without knowing, because no communication, no telephone, nothing. So uh, they assumed I was here. I was in the village. What happened is, why brother, uh, they're not in the same village? Because the party secretary married uh, backwards to the lady and then and lived with the lady in our village. You understand? So Usually the, you marry somebody, uh, the lady will come to your home. Okay. But the party secretary, Mr. Gao, from a faraway village and married into the lady's, the wife's home. Because the wife was the only daughter of the parents. He then changed his surname to become a pseudo-son of our village. That must have been a big thing back in those big days. Thing. Big thing. Because changing family name is a huge thing. Um, he's supposed to carry on the, the family line, right? The bloodline. So he changed the name, surname. But one way or another, this brother came on a ladder, really suffered tremendous pain already, and then very disappointed to find out that I was not in the village. Then there's no way out but to carry on to transfer to a major oil field hospital about over 35 kilometers away. And then in midway, the patient died. So when I came back, I learned this uh, horrible story. I felt that there was a tremendous trust. If this patient were directly transferred to the major hospital, certainly they would have survived. Very likely to be able to survive because it's closer. But there's tremendous trust towards our young barefoot doctors and then transferred to our village and then delayed the whole thing. After this event, we felt that we must do something major to not only to treat ordinary ailments, uh, but to resolve some 
emergency situations. We did a number of things. For example, we made our operating table, which is out of wood board. But the wood was a scarcity, almost non-existent, because the mountains were yellow mountains, had almost no trace, like desert. Which, which, which was why the uh, the soil would run away when you're right. trying to do cop- yeah. crops. Right, exactly. So uh, that uh, piece of wood was preserved for the coffin, coffin of the older man. So we tried to negotiate. We paid a, a great deal of uh, of money to try to preserve that piece of wood. So we made an operating table. The operating table cannot move. It's of interesting, the, though, that you were saying that babies were thrown away into the woods, <clears throat> but the coffins were saved for the older men. Yeah, only the older men deserve a coffin if they could afford one. Not all, all of people would, will be able to afford because the economy controls everything, right? So people with a coffin many times pre-made before they die. So every day they came back to the cave and passing through the coffin and just a great deal of satisfaction because when I die, I have a good house to sleep on. That is amazing. That is just... Oh, that's uh, the tremendous uh, show of uh, well-being of uh, perpetual kind of comfort. Otherwise, what's the purpose of living? There's only two purposes. One, survival. Two, offsprings. As long as you could make offsprings. So therefore, people try to have as many babies as possible, particularly the male babies. Which was interesting, the fact that you said the the secretary's brother went back and changed his name to a woman because women women weren't as considered as important in those days. No, but if this woman's uh, family well off, okay, and then but without uh, a male to carry the name, uh, they would find a good uh, son, a stepson, almost like stepson, to uh, come to our home and then change his name as if we will have uh, offsprings of our own name. Otherwise, it's a big shame. Mm. It's a big shame without offsprings. And then the old man, if the old man even have a coffin, a good coffin, rather than just buried bare or buried with a very thin coffin or a piece of kind of wrapping, that was not very good. But at that time, not everybody can afford it. So we tried to use this wood and then made a wood operating table. We cut cloth into pieces and then make our own operating gong. So after I came back, the wife of the party secretary, right in our village, suffered from a severe acute abdomen is called perforated gastric ulcer. There's a hole in the stomach. And then the acidic 
fluid and also the food all escaped into the abdomen from the stomach. It's so painful and also caused immediate infection. Well, you ba- basically your body would be eating itself from the inside out. Yes. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the uh, erosive. People won't l- last long. The abdomen just feel like a board, hard like a board, because you cannot touch it. It touches so painful, right? So think about it. Can you move this patient? Can you transport? The situation quickly deteriorated. So we have no choice but telling the husband, who was the party secretary, so seeing this patient is even more severe than your brother who died. And then he responded, I'm not going to transfer my wife. Just do whatever you can right now, right here. If anything happens, that's my bad luck. I will not say anything to anybody. A lot of pressure for you, though. A lot of pressure for me. Um, but more pressure in terms of how to prepare this operation. It's hard to prepare. We almost have nothing. We have operating table, but we don't have a good operating room. The mud cave, there's uh, the dust coming down from the, from the top, right? The cave like this, right? So the dust was gradually coming down. So we have to cover us up, use the plastic. We have to use a spray to spray the entire cave to disinfect the air. Because we haven't really hit on it much, and I'd really like to uh, to touch on it, because you said that all the doctors at the time were known as barefoot doctors that were learning their medical profession <clears throat> in the field as uh, as they went along, but you were yeah. specifically known as the cave doctor. Yeah. Is that something that you've uh, you look back with fond memories of? I think we were different a little bit in the sense that we were trying to do things that would not be ordinarily imaginable as other barefoot doctors. Other barefoot doctors, you can imagine, maybe give an injection, give an acupuncture, give medication, do a basic bandage if there's an injury, some other things. Uh, But we encountered such a circumstance such a severe medical condition, we have to do something other, we have to see people die. If you didn't look after them, they were going to die anyway. Yeah, Uh, but the situation at that time, concurrent situation is that the entire higher cadres or the uh, uh, administration, the leadership at that time worried because they knew. They knew we did not have uh, any training. We did not go to medical school. We, we didn't have any, uh, I mean, modern equipment. Uh, we don't even have an operating room. We don't have the lights, no electricity, nothing. We have to use the natural light. If during the evening died, so dark, no electricity, no light. It's hard to comprehend even. Right, so that we have to start 
well, there was a daylight. The daylight comes from the one side, one direction, only one direction, the cave. Uh, only one direction has light. So these were the extreme uh, situations. We must make a death and life, real death and life decision right on the spot. For example, the equipment we got from the uh, second-hand store, we got from hospital, piecemealed, and then we made ourselves use wood. We used the pliers, the pliers to take out the teeth. Our regular plier, I mean Smithman's plier, many things that uh, not conventionally medical equipment, but we have to use them. But you have to disinfect everything, use the so-called autoclave high-pressured autoclave machine. We don't have it, and we didn't have it at that time. How did you get them uh, hygienic? We thought uh, in the country, one people had a major event such as wedding, such as uh, a major uh, death of some uh, head of the village, for example. Uh, people would gather for food uh, or celebration, this huge cook device, just this big, your steam. Uh, okay. A steamer, gotcha. but the steamer readily made and buried into the mud, and underneath you use firewood. And then not only the firewood, the, you use the uh, windpipe machine. Oh, so some bellows. Uh, yes. So to uh, blow, blow this uh, fresh air to make the fires really strong. So a lot of water, a lot of heat, so make this uh, temperature really high. That simulated the autoclave machine and then sterilized the uh, equipment. You open the equipment, you see everything. Because we didn't know what may be potentially useful. Until you went in. Uh, until I w we went in. Wow. So we just got every, everything we had. Yeah. So uh, there were knives used for wood carving. Uh, Shi Tieshan has know how to wood carving. The seven knives of a different size, very sharp. Those were in. The uh, mechanical pliers, small and big, were in. The, the many things were in, just in case. With the support, with the commitment of the family. The family basically give you this only child, only lady, only girl, only daughter of the family. Such a trust, which you feel really honored. So we organized, we organized our local people. They were local barefoot doctors. They were also fellow educated youth, uh, the Yang Liu Qing, uh, a girl, plus uh, Feng Xiang, another girl. So helped, people try to help. Uh, but many people watching uh, mountains, upper mountains, and then because major event, because people said this young mother is going to die, and then the ballet is going to be opened, and then the big operations are going to be happening in the cave. So people no longer go to work, just watch. And also the information transmitted uh, to the higher le leadership. Leadership came. 
also joined the watch crowd. So here you are with the lady. You're spraying inside the cave with the uh, the antiseptic, essentially, yeah. to try and purify the air and sterilize the the whole environment. Yeah. So what happened then? And then we just moved the patient in, and I talked to the patient. I said, "This is life and death. Please follow my instruction. If I ask you to breath, just try to breath. I ask you questions to." Try to answer because you will not put into sleep. You will be fully alert during the operation. Initially, I was trying to use the subdural uh, anesthesia on the spine. That involved very delicate skill. So were you doing the anesthetic as well? Yes, everything. We, we, did, we did everything. I was trying to put into the subdural uh, space, I failed. I couldn't do it. The reason is, you want to do that, the patient has have, really have to curl. Uh, right. Really, but the so painful. And also so hard, so I suppose. So hard, yeah. yeah, couldn't really. So this, that was not successful. And then otherwise, there was a small tube. If we could put a small tube into, into the subdural space, that you could continuously give anesthetics. So the uh, operating time could be long. But we had a secondary uh, preparation, which is use regular spinal anesthesia. Spinal anesthesia is to use uh, the big needle, puncture the uh, uh, spinal space. The spinal fluid come out, I used a spinal fluid to mix my anesthetic powder and then inject the powder back. So delicate thing is, because of gravity, you have to control the level of the body. So you want to have the uh, anesthetic level right on the uh, operating field, not high. What happened is too high. You can't breathe. Yes. From here, because we operate here, it's very close to uh, getting the muscle, the breath muscle, paralyzed. And then we had only a bare straight board. Very, very painful. Couldn't really move. Otherwise, in, in the operating table, you have... You can control the bed at any position you want. But we couldn't do that. We're trying to do as much as possible. But however quickly things happened, this lady couldn't breath because the level's too high. On the one hand, I, I just uh, get a pillow uh, underneath the body. Underneath the body, try to raise the higher body. So try to uh, push down. Just use the, the gravity to gravity to, mm. to push that. However, that was was way too late. Was already out of breath because inside the mud cave, many of us plus the patient, everybody is competing this little oxygen inside the cave. It's an interesting thing though. And it is <clears throat> an incredible thing that you're doing, but it's almost easy to forget the primitive conditions which you're operating under. You're yeah. in a mud cave. Yeah. It's just hard to even 
visualize that you're doing all of this incredible work and you're still in the cave? You're still in the cave. Uh, we compete many things. We cannot wait until the, uh, we lose the light. We have to finish everything when the anesthetic in effect. We have to control the uh, respiratory uh, and the cardiorespiratory system so that the uh, human being will survive. But I had that already planned because we have no oxygen at all. Oxygen is special kind of a kind of tank, uh, and all the tubing and everything else. We don't have it. I talked to the husband, who was the secretary, uh, party secretary, to organize a few ladies, young ladies, each carry a round walk cover made of uh, straws. So they essentially put oxygen into the cave? That, so they used that as a fun. Just try to, to uh, force the air from outside into the cave. They open the, open the gate and have a, a bunch of people just try to, to get the air in and then one is too tired, the other one is coming in, come in and then, <laughs> then do, do that. But think what happened outside, a huge cloud and then they didn't know what happened. They have no idea. But all of a sudden the door opened and a bunch of people used this uh, walk cover just try to force air into the cave. And the little children of this uh, a mom were worried. And they saw all of a sudden uh, the daddy was doing that and then he asked uh, uh, the little girl and then the son all asked what happened. And then the party secretary Gao Feng Liu said is in a rush. We are driving out the ghost. So people just had no idea what happened. But one way or another, eventually the respiration got better because the anesthesia level lowered down and we finally opened the belly. When over the belly, a lot of intestines came out because the, the contraction of the muscle, the inter-abdominal pressure Push the a lot of intestines out, which caused the tightness in the stomach tightness in the first in the stomach, place. Everything, mm. and then also anesthesia was insufficient. <laughs> so we have to inject some local uh, anesthesia, and then also some people hold the whole bunch of uh, intestine. And I was trying to find uh, the hole, and then in the, this process, we saw a lot of uh, residues of food and the liquid. Uh, it was to use the saline, just rinse the belly and then sucked out. So that was happening quickly at the same time. Eventually I found the hole and sutured up the hole and tightened up and then further uh, washing the uh, abdominal cavity. Um, at that time, the anesthesia completely gone. It's pain like crazy. She was still open at this stage? Yeah. When the, so the lady was still technically under the uh, operation when the anesthesia ran out. Right. Still, the belly is still open, wide open. The intestine were out. We cannot put the intestine back. Too painful. 
So I talked to this young lady. I said, just try to follow me. Just, just very, try to slow your respiration one at a time. When you slow your deep breath, when you push out the air, so the tightness of this abdominal surface, less pressured. So you try to push the intestine back and suture another, uh, make another suture. And then next breath, push back some, another su suture, another suture, long time. Pain, long time. And then eventually finished. This was the first most difficult ones. But eventually, this uh, lady's life saved. Still alive now. Wow. Over 80. Wow. There were TV's girl. The TV person uh, went to shoot. She described what happened now. But the party secretary already died. This was the first operation we collectively did. Uh, several educated youth with the support of many other people. Because many other people did many other different things to prepare this fight. For example, some people sterilizing and burning the wood and then try to steam things. Uh, some other people organizing the clean cover. So this is almost like uh, very graphic. Inside is very graphic. Outside, people confused didn't know what happened. Well, that was my, uh, my thought, is yeah. what was the reaction in the village? Everybody certainly was very, very amazed. And then I put in tremendous more confidence on our ability. Because they didn't know what happened inside. When the abdomen opens up, so they didn't see that. But they saw, uh, we used this uh, cover to do that almost like exercise. Chasing yeah. the ghosts out, as you say, were they a spiritual people? Spiritual, very spiritual. When you're very poor, you give all everything to the miracle force in the God. Very spiritual. Uh, if you're sick, they said, I mean, I believe in the God. And then if God let me die, and then that's the end of my life. That's it. Did they think of an afterlife? You talk about the the old men with the coffin, and yeah. that was preparation for them. Yeah. Did they believe in the afterlife? Most people do. Most people believe that uh, after 18 years, they're they are another man. So reincarnation. Right, reincarnation. They have no way to control the nature. They cannot change the situation. They have to kind of follow what the fate would direct them. Therefore, we were seen as savior. The doctors occupied a very high image in the village. Uh, there are many other cases you would feel unbelievable. For example, we had uh, no x-ray, no uh, microscope, no diagnostics. We only have uh, very, very basic things. Uh, uh, so how do we detect some complicated cases? You were operating in a cave and you were known as the cave doctor. Now, after operating on the party secretary's wife, what was the reaction within 
higher up in government because that was fairly important at the time. The government very soon came to us, said, you've got to stop. Really? Stop right away. Wow. Sooner or later, people are going to die. When people die, you practice with a license and then you are facing big trouble. We don't want you to do that. If people sick and die, it's their, I mean, luck, bad luck for them. It's not none of your business. What was your reaction to that? How did you take it? Um, well, very interesting. Uh, when this happened, two things happened. One, when the higher people came to the village, try to stop us, the villagers already know. The villagers were trying to use force to chase them out. Oh, wow. Yeah. So they just just surrounded my cave when the conversation occurring. They would shake the door and then uh, curse outside. And then uh, who can stop our doctor? Who is going to leave their legs in the village? You understand? They, they, they broke their, their legs and the legs they live in the village. Another event is when this rumor spread out, the government is stopping this operation, this practice. They all of a sudden figured out, okay, we got to catch the last bit of opportunity oh. to come to get our old elements all treated. So our village were overwhelmed with so many patients. You cannot imagine. Just they just just came and on the donkey, on the wagon, just came. Came and said, before this uh, uh, village clinic closes down, we get, the, get our foot inside and then have this treatment. So basically, that's the situation. Another severe situation is that they stopped the supply of all medication. Ah, uh, okay. You can't prescribe medication. Because the barefoot doctors were not officially trained, and then we cannot prescribe official medication. So that's a effective tool to control your continued uh, service. It's hard to overcome. From when you were saying how you procured the different um, uh, instruments yeah. that uh, you had to find out a way of getting them from <coughs> the larger clinics. <coughs> yeah. You do have a rebellious side. So I gather that mm. you've gone, we're not going to be stopped. Absolutely. Uh, I mean, because we had the full support of peasants. So that's a very spiritual at that time. And then even the carters, the higher administration afraid of the peasants. Because peasants has nothing to lose. Only the life. They're losing their lives anyways. <laughs> right? <laughs> so this is we want him. We want these doctors, these mud cave doctors. Right? So what you can do? You cannot arrest everybody. <laughs> and you cannot arrest me because I didn't kill anybody. But they warned that if you kill anybody, then your bad luck is coming. Okay. And then we decided something bold. We said we out to make our own medication. So we started a pharmaceutical operation. That's incredible. Initially, we thought it was impossible. 
but we have no choice. If you have, you only use acupuncture, if you only use uh, some primitive treatment methodology, won't take care of many things. And then, uh, for example, some medication, uh, some of the particular fluid, if you have a dripping fluid, big bottle, and then you put medication inside the bottle and then drip into the vein, that's expensive. So we established a scheme we call cooperative medical delivery system. We collect a little bit of money on everybody, a tiny bit. Maybe the money or a share of the money for their money to buy salt. Everybody contribute a share. But we promise that we will not charge fees when you're sick. This is almost a self-insured program. But how are you surviving at this stage? You're, if you're not going to charge a fee, how are you surviving? Because you're doing operations, you're obviously yeah. not in the field these days. Yeah, there's two ways to survive. One way is that many initial supply medication were donated from our parents, from our families. So we were from Beijing, from larger cities. Parents are, were salaried, so they contribute and they buy medication and they ship to us. On another side, we collect this uh, small amount, but many people, small amount becoming more significant. We use that to buy basic medication. Thirdly, there's the operational side of it, uh, which is when we trade people from outside of the village, we act like a real clinic because they ought to pay their medication because they were not part of the cooperative scheme. They have to pay. When they pay, we make 15%. When we circulate this little money, becoming substantive. At the same time, we started to organize peasants to plant herbs. We also buy some herbs. And then we use herbs to make injectables. We boil the, herb, boil the herbs, and uh, uh, that has medicinal effect. And then sterilize them, uh, use our sterilized uh, water to make injection ampules. We also have a way to treat uh, the water, the underground water, and to steam them, go through the process, to go through the several columns, to purify them and then to steam, sterilize them. Also, we have uh, rabbits. We inject on the rabbits and then see whether there's a temperature change. If a temperature change, meaning this uh, water is not pure yet. So we have entire operation all uh, from a three caves. The three caves used to uh, house uh, sheep. So we made that as a a local pharmaceutical company, completely made ourselves. We don't have uh, modern building materials, we only have the plastics. But plastics, uh, we just put a, a heavy chemical and then burn the chemical. They use the fume to kill everything. But when we go in to operate, we cannot survive very long. <laughs> we, we just do and then go out and breath. And they come in, to, and then our, our tears coming out from our eyes. 
Wow, so you can only stay in the operating theatre for a certain amount of Not time. Not operating, the, the pharmaceutical uh, operating room. Mm-hmm. When we do the Emperors, for example, that was a big success. We made such pharmaceutical products with only a very small fraction of the cost. But they are equally as good. Not only we could uh, uh, survive, uh, help our finance, we sold them to other clinics at very low price. And then we collect the bottle back. Did the word of this get out to government authorities that you were sort of essentially defying them? Well, the government has a change too. Because the government initially, uh, for the sake of protecting us from committing crimes or creating problems, uh, just try to stop us. They're good intention. But because of overwhelming support from the villagers, they cannot succeed. Very interesting, they eventually decided to nominate me to be a model youth. So I became a model youth. I went out places to give lectures to describe what we did. And also, I joined a delegation to Beijing. I went to major medical schools. I went to major hospitals. I went to major universities. I went to my home uh, university, Tsinghua University, and they give lectures or give reports what happened, what we did. And people really collapsed. I mean, that changed the sentiment. So at one time, uh, the government, central government, got alerted, and they sent uh, the professors, uh, the U.S.-trained major doctors, pathologists, um, they have two teams, plus the very top person is the president of Chinese Academy of Medical Science, uh, the, the most well-known surgeon was trained at the University of Michigan in the U.S., came to my village. The government asked them to come, to go see whether this is true or not. They give us tests, they give us on-site examinations, they review our... Uh, operating records, um, and eventually they concluded, oh, this is real. They learned from practice. And then they, they visited all the patients and examined the scars and did everything. And then they concluded that this person, equivalent to a, a graduate of official uh, medical school, which requires five years education after uh, after the high school. How long had you been doing this at this stage when you'd been essentially learning on the job? Yeah. How long had you been doing that for? We started the first time of operation in 1970, one year after uh, we arrived. And then when this happened, it's about three years after that. But the, the conclusion is they issued a qualification. Qualification is equivalent to the official, graduate official medical school plus two to three years practical uh, experience as a, as a qualified doctor. Wow. So that's the official. They issued that after the examination. It turned from suppressing into support, <laughs> right? Yeah. They changed their attitude. Uh, and then that helped us a lot 
But our next move is that、uh, we reverse merged the official hospitals because the official、uh, hospitals everywhere, but very small. But they don't go out to help. They stay in their、uh, small clinics,、uh, the communal clinics. But we said, okay, they're useless. We want the, them to join us. So we created a larger cooperative. So we asked the hospital to become part of the cooperative. At the same time, because the,、uh, the official doctors does not want to go to the countryside, we established our university. We established the Barefoot Doctor University. So I became a not only the president of the university, but also a major teacher of university to teach the peasants, the young peasants. We teach them, we teach them anatomy, we teach them basic pharmacology, we we teach them how to do acupuncture, we organize the uh, uh, circulatory、uh, medical team. Mobile medical team to visit villages. We use the carts to carry all the equipment and the medicine, everything. Just go to go visit instead of people coming to our village, which is already overwhelmed our village. Because when people came, they bring a little grain. But if they get a major medical treatment, they have to stay long. When they stay long, our village caves become hospital wards. So quickly exhausted their food supply. So our peasants already poor because they at the same time many of the ladies could not go to work but to serve the patients. Every cave is a hospital ward. Then this cannot last long. We have to kind of go out. So we travel among the villages and give treatments. And this is now with your qualification. With the qualification, so we have one hand have a university, university graduates or university trainees became part of the medical team. We we go to their village to establish similar clinic. We give them practical experience by going through the entire process. We have a continuous supply of the、uh, doctors. Locally trained doctors, many many doctors nowadays became major doctors now in that local area because we came back to and then we had a barefoot doctor conference. Many were graduates of our university, so we had our own pharmaceutical factory completely done by ourselves. We produce injections and fluid and everything. Uh, so we have our own hospital. We we made them. We constructed them. Initially, we、uh, developed from a used、uh, a sheep kind of、uh, closure. Now、uh, we have our own official、uh, with the government support. We made our own hospital, and then we also created twelve mud cave as the inpatient wards. All in the mountains. So basically, we're growing,、uh, and then we also grabbed equipment of the local hospitals because we just say you're no good. Just come to us, work as barefoot doctors, and then we equip ourselves really strong now.
Because they they have equipment they don't use. They don't want to take risk. They don't have enough people because they are salaried. You do nothing, you still get salary. So stay home. Why work? You have food. You have supply of grains. So that's the attitude. So we said, okay, you, the equipment, everything is all wasted. We grab them. At that time, I became a, a official. I eventually I became the deputy mayor of that county. And basically, I was responsible for the entire area's uh, uh, medical delivery system, including hospitals, family planning. Uh, systems, including um, uh, preventive medicine, uh, vaccination schemes, uh, everything. So uh, I was responsible at the time. How old were you at this stage? 24. <laughs> yeah, so that that was the time. That, that sort a, of responsibility and that sort of initiative that you've obviously had at 24 what were other 24-year-olds doing at that time out in the mountains? Our uh, people, uh, educated youth, they all did various kind of amazing things because that was a life struggle. I mean, I was only a barefoot doctor. Other people became party secretaries or some people became a scientific researcher to try to grow high-valued plants like mushrooms. Some people uh, became uh, operator of machinery. They were trying to introduce machinery instead of manual labor. And some people become teachers to, to, to teach the little kids. Otherwise, they didn't know how to read, how to, how to calculate. Many people were doing similar things. We were recently educated from major city. All of a sudden, dropped into like a black hole. You really want to change, try to make a contribution. So even in our group, we have many, many other people. Local doctors, local trained peasant doctors, uh, they all contributed. Because there were needs, there's also a way of livelihood. Because when you earn the work points, when you work at, at Barefoot Doctors, you earn a reputation, you earn people's respect. You have satisfaction spiritual as well. Do you describe yourself as a spiritual person? Uh, more so, uh, increasingly. At that time, you didn't have time to do anything, to think too much. Basically overwhelmed. But in retrospect, I thought without God, I couldn't do anything. There was some, something magical. Were you the right person at the right time in the right place? Uh, that's one aspect of it. But uh, uh, even though in the same circumstance, not uh, everybody could succeed, there must be some magical force behind it to help us. And then, there, of course, other people help us. Right time, right, uh, right place. I want to ask you about your parents. They've yeah. sent you off to be re-educated from Beijing out into the poor countryside. They must have had some idea of what you were going to experience. What was their reaction watching your journey and then coming back and then getting recognised for your qualifications? Actually, uh, that was a very sad story uh, because my father was at that time was considered uh, anti-revolutionary reactionary. He received education from Tsinghua University, uh, the top 
number one university in China, uh, old times, and then he went to the U.S. for further studies and then obtained degrees uh, from uh, Massachusetts Institute of Technology, which is MIT. And then he was appointed as engineer at General Electric and had good salary, good life. But he thought he should come back to help reconstruct the new China in the late 1940s. But entirely contrary to his expectation, he came back and experienced many political movements that almost killed him. They resented the fact that he'd been educated in the States? worked there and was successful in the States? Yeah, exactly. People in China suspect that he was a spy. Really? Yeah. So, actually it was not. But anyway, he just encountered the continuous interrogatories and then went through all these political movements and then tried, attempted suicide for three times. Really? Luckily, did not did not die. The time when we were sent to the countryside was the time there was a Chinese cultural revolution. Is that why you were sent out, because of yes. your father? Because of the cultural revolution where the, we were considered offspring of a not good background. Certainly, at that time, it was an overwhelming uh, number of people, uh, young people, uh, were sent. Uh, because we we couldn't get jobs in the city. This uh, massive unemployment. The economy was very bad. So the Mao Zedong, Chairman Mao, thought these young people need uh, to work from scratch to understand what the peasants were doing and then to re-educate them. So there was a massive movement such a contrast. So therefore, my peasants did not expect, uh, they may not even imagine that we could succeed in this medical thing. But they give us full support. They give whatever we request. Because at that time, letter, the letter was the only thing. They just sent parcels. Some parcels contained some um, food, but many times contained medicine. So we give the medicine for free. But eventually, we, we got this cooperative medical scheme. We could support ourselves. We could sustain ourselves, particularly with the support of our pharmaceutical factory. Uh, that's al almost a commercial operation. Well, it would have, uh, uh, <coughs> it would have supplied enough medicine and also funded your work yeah. in the university. Now, I just want to know, once you've received your degree and you've started the Barefoot Doctor University, how did you use your degree after that? Were you still out in the field or did you go further afield? Uh, we did not make any money. Personally, we did not have a zero. We had zero salary. We only had a work point. So we joined the distribution of grains at the end of the day. But the clinic itself received uh, some money to buy equipment to uh, grow ourselves, right? Then uh, we did not certainly uh, expect the operation became so big. So in retrospect, I mean, we amazed ourselves how big it became. 
my parents benefited from this in a way, because at the juncture that my father was trying to commit the third suicide, he took excessive amount of、uh, sleeping pills because he was under interrogatory again in the country, because he was sent in the country too. Okay. In the labor camp, but at that time, my story appeared in the major newspaper. That was a politically authoritative newspaper, and that newspaper、uh, article helped my family politically. So the suppression to my father stopped magically. They must have been incredibly proud. Yes, because they saw my name in the major newspaper, and then people now. Turned them, my mother and father, turned them to be a model, and asked them to give reports. How did you educate your <laughs> children, <laughs> your child? What was the, was the experience? Of course, they couldn't. They couldn't say much. They only read the newspaper because they afraid they say something wrong. That's politically no good. <laughs> <laughs> At that time, it was very rigid. Everybody was so scareful.、Um, How did you find that when you went to work with other doctors in, say, a more traditional sense in a university or a bigger hospital? When you had, when you were talking with them, when you were working with them, how did you find what you were doing as compared to what they were learning in university?、Uh, at the later stage, one way. I was、uh, enrolled in the official university again as a graduate student. I never went to the undergraduate medical school. I went directly to the major university medical school as a graduate student. At that time, I kind of felt that the、uh, knowledge was so much departmentalized, so much stratified, rather than holistic. Or systematic. Is that because you'd had to be a jack of all trades? You'd had to do、yeah. just about everything. <clears throat> Absolutely,、that、everything from anesthetics、yeah. to full-on surgery. Yeah, that or or den- dentistry or、uh, pediatrician or anything. But usually, the medical training is train you into a particular、uh, discipline, so your efficiency is very high. You always say things very similar, so you always pre- prescribe medicine similar. If something outside of your knowledge or comfort zone, you refer to specialists. But at that time, we were specialists. We <laughs> do everything. <laughs> That's the major difference. But we have a different perspective of how human body works. The traditionally trained doctors did they look at you with some sort of d- disdain because you were self-taught? Probably in their heart they did. <laughs> <laughs> but、uh, but as you know that、uh, from the entrance examination, national entrance examination,、uh, answer the same questions and everything to select university entrance. I ranked national number one. Oh wow. Yeah, so that I, th- this appeared in the newspaper. So without official medical school education, that was again in the newspaper and TV. So that says something about it. <laughs> I think it says something about you, as 
a practitioner and also as a person and it has been an absolute pleasure to share some time with you today and I really hope that we can get you back and and talk some more about some of your adventures and some of the things that you've done because I know we've only just scratched the surface but Dr Lee Sun thank you so much for joining us over the bonnet. Thank you very much for the opportunity. This podcast is brought to you by Mary Mark Medical. Mary Mark Medical is your local medical practice in Gympie, specialising in quality family medical care. Are you always sick? Ranging from acute medical issues to management of long-term chronic conditions. When you need to get better, even if you have complex health problems, get the right diagnosis with Mary Mark Medical. Contact Mary Mark Medical in Gympie on 54811873 or find them at 18 Young Street. The podcast is also brought to you by Gimpy Foam and Rubber, your local store that specialises in foam cup to size. They've got all sorts of good stuff like upholstery and craft foam, even loose spinning foam. The shop is packed with things like mattresses and pillows. Ah, not so squeezy. Now, they'll help you get down and dirty and save your feet with rubber flooring and mats anti-fatigue matting, and they have industrial mats and rubber. If they don't have it, Andrew will get it in for you. Plus, for Over the Bonnet listeners, mention the show and ask for your discount, and you'll receive 10% off the price. That's right, 10%. Only for Over the Bonnet listeners when you mention the show, and you have to ask for your discount. That's at Gimpy Foam and Rubber. We can't go without mentioning Luscious Slicks, 100% fruit ice cream. You can find them at local markets and all sorts of events. Mm, They taste good. They are a really delicious alternative to conventional ice cream. Now that's the stuff you may as well strap straight to your thighs. But with Luscious Slicks, it's completely dairy-free, gluten-free, and with no added sugar because there's nothing added. And best of all, it's guilt-free and it tastes great. Look out for Luscious Leaks in the pink marquee at a market or event near you. And finally, the show is brought to you by NICAD Earth Moving that specialises in roadworks, house pads, site cleanups, land clearing, dam construction, even dewatering and swamp drainage. I didn't even know you could do that. They have a 140H grader, which is big, and their Positrack Bobcat is also huge. There's a D65 dozer, three excavators for hire, including a 20-ton, 8-ton, and a a 2.5-ton. Plus, they provide side truck hire and even have a roller and a water truck. So contact Carl Dakin at NICAD Earth Moving on 0488 22 and the earth will move for you.